Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Today we start a new series, and we're just calling this series uh, What the Bible Says. And I think it's important that we know what the Bible says. And so we're going to be taking about six weeks, and we're going to look what the Bible says uh, about Jesus. And we're going to look what the Bible says about the devil. We're going to look what the Bible says about, uh, uh, I forget, I don't even, we're going to look at the Bible says about forgiveness. We're going to look at what the Bible says about work. Some of you go to work, and even if you're not working, you're out in the community, and what the Bible has to say about that. We're going to look at what the Bible actually says about money, and I don't think it'll change your paradigm, because it's not just you should give. That's, that's not what the Bible just says, you should give. I think we're going to look at what the Bible actually says and, and the role that money plays. And what I want to do is just, just challenge us a little in each thing we, we talk about. Because I think sometimes what happens is we just go, yeah, 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 I've heard that. I've heard that and I believe that that's what the Bible says. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> like, is that what the Bible says? And so we're going to look at that. So we're going to start our series today on what the Bible says about the Bible. I think it's really important that we say, well, wait, why would we even believe this Bible? I think we've got to start there. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke, it's just a little over halfway through your Bible, Luke chapter 1. That'll be our passage today. And I know I don't always say this. I think it's important to have a hard copy Bible. I think, I think that's uh, valuable for you. And so if you don't have a hard copy Bible, don't, don't go out and buy one. We already bought them. They're in the lobbies. They're on some high top tables around here in the lobby. Just grab one. It's just our gift for you. Just make sure you get the right language. We have them in English and Spanish. Uh, but that's yours. Write in it, mark it up, take notes, whatever, whatever. Okay, Luke chapter 1, stand your feet for me if you would. If you knew, again, just a reminder, we stand every week and, and it's not right or wrong. If you go to church and they don't stand, it's not wrong. It's just what we do because it reminds us every week. This is God speaking to the folks in a room in Bloomington, Minnesota right now. I believe he has a word for you. I believe he has a word for me. This is God's word. So I'm reading starting in chapter of 1, verse 1. We're just reading the first four uh, verses. Follow along. It says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time this morning. Lord, I pray that you will minister to us, that you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you. You're the teacher. And give us understanding from your word. And what would you say, Holy Spirit, to each person here? I believe you have a different word for every individual here. Would you speak to that to them loud and clear? God, do it only in a way that glorifies you, that shines the light on you, that makes you known. Do that for your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You folks can have a seat. I think this is important. I think it's important that we take a look at the Bible. I I think, you know, know, some of you, uh, I I don't know if you think about this. Uh, I remember, I kind of remember maybe my first Bible I got. Uh, I remember uh, uh, I got it, uh, I was probably in elementary school, uh, early elementary school. I remember I got a Bible. How many of you were given a Bible when you were kids? Might have had your name on it. How many of you had a Bible with your name on it? It was something like that. Some of you did. And then I remember kind of my Bible out through high school and had this kind of green, puffy, 
cover, kind of, whatever, whatever. And, and I was reading the Bible. I, re- I remember I was blessed. I read the Bible as a kid, early as a kid. I started reading the Bible in third grade, and I read through junior high, and I read the Bible when I was in high school, and I read the, the Bible when I was in college, and some of you did too. And, and my guess is that I'm speaking to a variety of people in the room today. So I'm guessing that I'm speaking to some people who got introduced to the Bible as a kid. You first were introduced to the Bible as a kid. And the reality is you were a kid, and you were introduced to the Bible by an adult, who was introduced to the Bible as a kid introduced by adults, right? And some of you, maybe you got introduced to the Bible just a little bit later. Maybe you were introduced to the Bible as an adult. But the reality is you still were adult, uh, adult uh, address, uh, introduced to the Bible by an adult who was introduced as a kid by an adult who was introduced as a kid. And so sometimes we just, you know, we don't even think about it. Some of you uh, still aren't sure about the Bible. Some of you are questioning it. Some of you are questioning the whole faith thing. Can I, can I just say this? Can I just say this morning how much I applaud you for showing up to church when you say, I'm not really sure. And you're just questioning. And I would conti- uh, just encourage you to continue to do that. But, but I think this is important that we understand the Bible, that we understand w- where this came from. And so we're going to look at a couple things this morning. Number one, I think this is a legitimate question. Why would you believe it? I think you need to ask that question. Why, why would I consider believing this? And, and not only why would I consider believing it, because I think that's important, but I also think this, why does it matter? Why would it matter? Now, truth be told, if you were one of those people who were introduced as a kid, who was introduced by an adult, who was introduced, introduced as a kid by an adult who was introduced you know, as a kid, then, then, then I think it's very important. Uh, there's, there's, there's this kind of saying that went around the church at that time. And, and they, we've always said this, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And at first glance, when we look at, at that, I think that appears kind of noble. Doesn't it? It's like, oh yeah, I have faith in the Bible. The Bible, I just believe it. And the Bible says it and that's it. And that's all good. I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a noble thing. I think it's great that we have that kind of faith in the Bible until, because if that was you, that's good until you find out what else the Bible says. And you find out about those things in the Bible that they didn't teach you in Sunday school and you didn't talk about in Sunday school. Maybe your pastor didn't want to teach you and somebody walked up to you literally with the Bible and went, blam, what about that? What are you going to say to that? And you didn't know what to say. You didn't know what to say. And so a couple of things could have happened. Best case scenario, you just walked away from your faith and never said anything because you didn't buy into it anymore. Worst case scenario, you stayed in the church and remained silent with no conviction, with no conviction about the scripture. And you became a Christian who didn't live the Christian life and you became a bad image of the church. I'm just saying, I think it's very important that we know how this happened. Now, again, when you got your first Bible, it very very well may have looked like this. But the way that you got your Bible isn't the way that we got the Bible. The way that you got your Bible is maybe it had this leather cover and maybe it had this red leather cover to it and maybe it had maps and it had a concordance and it had some references in it and maybe it had headings and maybe it had chapters and it had verses, but that's not how we got the Bible. The way that we got the Bible is very different from how you got your Bible. And so to understand the Bible, I think it's very important that you know how we got the Bible. In other words, the story of the Bible. It's very important that you understand the story of the Bible for this reason. Because if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's very easy to discount the stories in the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't know the story of how we got 
the Bible. Because the way we got the Bible is not the way you got your Bible. And so I want you to know the story of how we got the Bible this morning. Now, if we're going to know how we got the Bible, the Bible, the story of the Bible actually doesn't start in the beginning of the Bible. That's not where the story of the Bible begins, believe it or not. The story of the Bible begins over halfway through in the book of Luke. This is how we got the Bible. Luke was a physician. Luke was a first century follower of Jesus. He wasn't one of the disciples, but he's a physician. He's meticulous. He's detail-oriented. And Luke sets out to write an account of the Bible for a friend, an acquaintance, a good friend of his, a very important person, probably a wealthy man named Theophilus. And Luke is going to try to write an orderly account for this follower of Jesus whose name is Theophilus, a man of the first century. And so look at your text. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says, many, very important. I would that word. I would underline that word. Many people have set out to write accounts. In other words, the story of, the history of, the, the events that happened. Many people have set out to write the accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, many people have set out to write accounts of what happened, of what happened here. Now, just so you know, FYI, this word many is very interesting to me because we have very few accounts of historical events that happened in the first century where several people wrote about it. That almost never happens apart from the story of Jesus it was very rare that several people wrote about it. And the reason is very simple. Writing at that time would have been costly. It would have been expensive. And furthermore, most people were illiterate. And so you ain't going to spend a whole lot of money trying to write stuff that very few people are going to be able to write. It's very interesting that many people are trying to write accounts about the things that happened during that day. Look at verse 3 in your text. It says this, having carefully investigated. Remember Luke. Luke is a physician. He's detail-oriented. He's going around. He's investigating. He's talking to eyewitnesses. Luke wasn't one of the disciples. He probably wasn't an eyewitness to a lot of things that happened. But he says, I'm investigating. I'm talking to people. I'm talking to eyewitnesses. I'm talking. I'm getting the story of what actually happened. I'm investigating everything from the very beginning, from the beginning of Jesus' life life and ministry, the ministry that started when he was baptized in the Jordan River and probably all the way till after his resurrection. Luke says, I'm asking all kinds of questions. I'm finding all kinds of stories. I'm getting everything down. He says, I've also decided to write an accurate account, physician, detail-oriented for you, most honorable Theophilus. It's the reason that we think Theophilus was a man of importance, maybe a merchant, maybe a, a landowner. He's a significant individual, most excellent Theophilus. He's a first century believer of Jesus, probably came to faith in Christ after the resurrection. Again, wasn't one of the disciples. Why? So that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. He's come to know Christ after the resurrection. He's gotten bits and pieces. Theophilus has. He's heard from people who were eyewitnesses. He's talked to people who were eyewitnesses, but he wasn't there and he doesn't know the whole story. And Luke is going to try to put an accurate account together for him. Now here's the question. Why would he do that? Why would Luke go to the trouble to do that? And the story of Jesus actually happens after the life of Jesus. Now think about this. Jesus had his ministry and people were leaving everything and they were following Jesus and they were, they were, they were, they were leaving family. They were leaving friends to be associated with Jesus right up to his crucifixion. And then we find out that he's a fraud we find out that Jesus is a fraud, that it was all for nothing because he's dead, because it's over, because it's end of story, because it's game over. And had the story of Jesus ended there, let me just tell you this, 
there would be no Christianity. There would be no church. There would be no the Bible. There would be no Old Testament. You say, well, the Old Testament writings were still there. They wouldn't be the Old Testament. They would be the Jewish writings because there would be no New Testament. See, something happened. Something happened. Now Luke goes on and, and he continues to write about it. Luke goes on and he continues to write about it. And Luke is going to tell us uh, about a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of the high Jewish council. He's going to go on and tell us about a man named Nicodemus. And they got the body of Jesus and they're going to take it down from the cross. And Luke records this toward the end of his letter. And by the way, it's not the gospel of Luke yet. It's just a letter. It's not a book. He's just doing some writing because there's no Bible. There's no gospel of Luke. There's no book of Luke yet. And he says, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee, his body was being taken down. Joseph of Arimathea comes and he's going to take the body down. Now the Jews were happy to get rid of Jesus' body. Normally, and I don't know if you know this, but normally when the crucifixion happened, they just leave the bodies up. And they let them decay and they let the animals eat them. They let the birds pick at them. But it was Passover, and they don't want that up during Passover. And so they're willing to let Joseph of Arimathea take it down. And it says, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed. The women would be probably some of the Marys, Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and maybe Salome. They take the body down, and they take the women from Galilee, follow, and saw the tomb where his body was placed. This was a tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea to be hand-carved out of stone. And it would be a great price. It would have cost him a lot of money. And he's donating this for the body of Jesus. He has this reverence to the body of Jesus. We think that he was a Jesus follower who was on the Jewish high council. And the women go and they see where the tomb is. They see where they lay the body. They know now where the tomb is. They could get there again if they have to. Right. And it says this, then afterwards they went home and they prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. Question, why? Why are they going to anoint his body? They're embalming his body. Why? Because the body is dead. And they expected the body to do what dead bodies do. Dead bodies tend to stay dead. That's what they're all thinking. Luke is writing to us now. Question, why is Luke writing it? Why is Luke going to the trouble? It is game over. Jesus is dead. The story is over. There will be no Christianity. There will be no church. There will be no the Bible. Therefore, there will also be no Old Testament. And the question you got to ask is, why did Luke go to the trouble? And why did so many others go to the trouble? And this is something important, and I hope you get this. The Luke documented the story of Jesus because the story of Jesus didn't end on a Roman cross. Had his life ended there, you just got to think about this for a minute. Had his life ended there, Luke would not have written. It's not like Jesus is walking around and Luke's like, what, say that again. Say that again. Or what happened? Wait, do that again. Luke is just, Luke is asking folks who were there, who saw it after the fact. Luke wasn't there. Why is he going to all the effort well, Luke continues to write. And in the original Bible, we have the book, just one book. And it was just Luke Acts. It was one book. We've editors have divided now into the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, Luke starts to tell the story of the early church. And he talks about after the resurrection. And now the disciples are unleashed and they're going into the streets and they're preaching the gospel. And they're saying to the very people who arrested and killed Jesus, they are preaching Jesus to them, knowing that their lives could be taken. And Luke is recording 
recording all of the events. And Luke records some significant sermons that were given during that time. In Luke, in Acts chapter 2, Luke is writing this. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching and he's speaking to Caiaphas, the high priest of the Jewish council. And Peter is preaching to him and he's just giving a lowdown. He is not holding back at all. And in Acts chapter 2, he says to Caiaphas, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we're witnesses of this. We didn't read about it. We didn't hear about it from other folks. We are eyewitnesses to it. We have seen it with our own eyes. We have seen this. Luke is recording this. Many have seen it. Peter is preaching it. Many have seen it. Now, remember this, that Luke says this. Hey, many people, many people have set out to write this. And we already said that's highly unusual. There are very few accounts in the first century where many people wrote about an event apart from the life of Jesus. It just didn't happen. There were a number of other people that, that, that wrote about these things. One of these people would be the Apostle Peter who spoke it and Mark dictated. Listen, here's what you have to remember and just keep this in mind. We don't believe the Bible was, was written because something extraordinary was written. We don't believe the Bible because it was an extraordinary document that was written. It's not that something was written. What happened is we believe the Bible because something extraordinary happened. And, and I just hope you tuck that way. Something happened. That's why people continued to write. That's why they wrote about all these events. They wrote about the events after the fact. Why would they bother to write it? Now, again, we believe that Peter was one of those people, and Peter spoke through John Mark. John Mark wrote what's known as the Gospel of Mark. But don't call it the Gospel of Mark yet because it's not a gospel. It's not the Gospel of Mark yet. The, these people were not writing things thinking, someday I'm going to have a book with my name on it. Nobody was writing thinking someday there will be a Bible and I will have my book in it. They were just writing documents. These are just Christian documents that came to be found later. And the reason they were writing was because something very powerful happened. John Mark was one of the gospel writers. John Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. He was much younger than the other uh, gospel writers. And he came along later. But he became friends with Peter. Peter was an eyewitness. Peter was one of the inner three. It was Peter and then the brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of... Thunder, nice job, right? And so Peter eventually traveled with Mark and they became friends. And Peter is dictating everything and John Mark is writing it down. You can imagine that they're getting to the ends of their lives and they realize this is something and we better get this down. We better write this down. And so he's talking, Peter is telling John Mark, and John Mark is writing it down. And this is after the resurrection of Jesus. It's after the resurrection. It's after they've witnessed, they have personally seen him live. Something happened. And Peter, through John Mark, says, still later, after the resurrection, he appeared to the 11 disciples. He appeared to us, Peter is telling John Mark. He's telling John Mark's stories, and John Mark begins to write them down. As they were eating together, he rebuked his own, listen, the 11 disciples, there were hundreds of disciples of Jesus. There were hundreds of disciples, but the 11 are the closest circles, the one that he spent three years with and traveled with. And Jesus is now speaking with the 11 disciples. He's appeared to them. They're seeing him physically. The dead man has risen and they were eating together and Jesus rebukes them for their stubborn unbelief. You say, what do you mean their unbelief? Well, they refused to believe that those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead, they, they refused to believe those people. In other words, 
Wait, wait a minute, come again? You, you saw Jesus? What are you talking about? We saw, we saw him killed. We all saw him. He was dead. We saw them take him down to the cross. We saw him put him in the tomb. Like, you, you can look at this and say, yeah, see, I'm not too sure I believe it because even the disciples doubted. I personally think it speaks to the credibility of the scripture because if you were writing a book, a document, just to hail this King Jesus, you wouldn't say that anybody doubted him. His own disciples, his closest disciples just went, wait, what? Wait, who? Wait, he's back? Jesus is now with them. He's now appeared to them. And Jesus is saying, come on, you guys. I told you I was going to raise from the dead. My closest friends, how did you not believe me, right? Peter, telling stories to John Mark, and then John Mark records that for us. But there were other gospel writers, right? It wasn't just Luke. He said many. It wasn't just John Mark. Matthew also reported that he had seen him. And, and Matthew reports in his gospel that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And then Mary, do you remember this story? Mary met him at the tomb, and she didn't even know that it was Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Mary. Do you notice that voice that says your name sometimes? You're like, oh, I know who that was. And he says, Mary. And she just learns. She says, my Lord. And he says to her, look, tell the disciples Tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And he tells her a place. Tell this to the disciples and we'll see them there and we'll meet. And Matthew records this. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. Just like Jesus said, tell them I'll meet them in Galilee. Going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Through the women, through Mary. When they saw him, stop. They saw him. A dead man is now walking. He's alive. And they see him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Of course they did. A dead man rose. Then I like this statement again. Matthew records the same thing. But some of them doubted. I mean, they couldn't doubt what they see, but they, they weren't so quick to worship because they were going to worship and they were getting on their knees and worship God. And they're just like, for real? Is that him? Like, it, it was just difficult. And then, and then there was another gospel writer. And then there was John. And John was Jesus' closest disciple. We believe John was his closest disciple. And John, again, why so many? Why are so many people writing about this? And John gives us a really interesting look. John gives us a really interesting perspective on, on why the Bible was written, why we would give it any credibility. But John's going to go a step further than that. And John reports this. He says the disciples saw Jesus. They didn't read about him. They didn't hear about him. They saw him with their own eyes, a man who had been dead, and he rose from the dead. He saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, many others. And he says, in addition to the ones recorded in this book, and just so you know, when John says this book, he's not talking about this book. There was no this book. There was no gospel of John. There was no the Bible. Not yet. He's just talking about in his own document. He's just talking in his own letter. He's saying, Jesus did far more miraculous signs than I could ever possibly record in this document that I'm now writing. Right? John knows he's getting old. Think about this. Out of the 12 disciples, Jesus had 12 disciples. Judas Iscariot went out and hanged himself because he felt so guilty about betraying Jesus. Now you're left with 11. Ten of those 11 all died because they wouldn't deny that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. They wouldn't deny it. N nobody would say this was a joke that got out of control knowing that possibly it could spare their own life or knowing that it could possibly spare them suffering. Because we know what the Romans like to do. When you die, when the Romans put you to death, they wanted you to feel death. And they drug it out and they made it as miserable as possible. The problem was every time they killed a disciple, the church grew. Every time they killed a disciple, things exploded. So they said this, 
hey, this thing is a little out of hand. Let's not kill John. Let's just send him for a timeout. And so they sent him to the Isle of Patmos, and he died there. And John died at a very old age, and he's getting old, and he's thinking, i got to write these things down. This is important. i got to write this stuff down. And John says, look, there are many more signs. He did many other things than are written in this document of mine. But John also goes on to say this, but these, these are written. The document, the things that I've recorded in this document, the stories and the miracles and the words of Jesus, the things that I've written, so important, so important. It's so critical that you hear what I have to say. I've gotten old. I won't be around forever. John had no idea. Is anybody going to find the document that he's written? Will two people see it? Well, 100 people, John had no idea that 2,000 years later, we would oftentimes walk into a church carrying the Bible. John had no idea that there was going to be the Bible. John is just writing this down because he's passionate about it, because of the way that Jesus has changed his life. And he says, but these things are written so that John is going to tell us why. And this is so important, so important, so important. Why is John going to the trouble to write these down? Two reasons. John says, number one, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, speaking to Jews, that you would continue to believe that he's the son of God, talking to the Greeks and to the Romans, right? You, so that you may continue. See, who is John talking to? John is talking to you. John is talking to me. John is talking to you. If you're watching this morning, John is talking to you. John went to the trouble to write these things down because something happened, because a dead man rose from the dead. And John is writing these down so that we'll get it. And John is saying, I'm writing it so that you'll continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This word believe isn't what we think it is in our language. Believe is like, do you believe that's true? And you're like, yeah, sure, I believe it. No, no, no. This in the Greek is the word, it comes from the word pistis. It's the same word that's used for faith. And to believe means this. I conduct my life in a manner that says, I believe it. I live my life in a way that says, I actually believe this. You will see this by the way I live. My life will, will be evidence of it. And John is saying, I'm writing this so that you would believe. But there's an and. There's a second part of it. John wrote number one as he got older because this stuff had changed his life. And he wants you to believe it. John wants you to believe it. John wants me to believe it. John wants everyone to believe this. But there's an and. And he says, and... And that by believing in him, in Jesus, by placing your faith, your pistis, by living your life that way, that you will have life by the power of his name. That you'll have life. John wanted you. John wanted me. John wanted everybody to have life. You, you can't help but think, this is the same John who's he's recounting in John chapter 3, he's recounting the story of Nicodemus. And he interrupts the actual story and puts his own word. And you'll know this because this is a verse that we all learned in Sunday school. John interjected, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That's why John wrote this. John wrote this so that you and I and anybody who's watching and anybody who listens to this six months from now so that we would have eternal life, so that we would place our faith in Jesus and that there would be everlasting life, that we would live our life by that power. So I'm going to give you the big so what right now and then I'll finish the story. But the big so what is really simple. The Bible is for transformation. It's not just information. 
It's not just information, man. There gets to be this thing, and this is not a Cedar Valley, I would say, but this happens to Christians sometimes. They want to know all the details, and I can tell you what order all the events of the revelation happened, and I can tell you whose name was, you know. But if it doesn't come out of us, if it doesn't, if it doesn't translate into life transformation, it's of zero good. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than anybody, and Jesus continually rebuked the Pharisees of his day. The Pharisees oftentimes memorized the entire Torah, what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament. They memorized it, and it wasn't changing their life, and Jesus constantly challenged them and rebuked them. The Bible isn't just for information. It's for life transformation. It's got to change us. It's got to come out of us. And so then what happened with our Bible? How do we get our Bible? There was no Bible. But scholars and experts were meticulously writing this and copying it and copying. And if, you, if you're one of those people who likes to say, well, yeah, but it's just changed over time, over time, over time. I understand. That's a popular argument. I would tell you this. The greatest archaeological find of the 20th century were the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were at least 1,000 years older, if not more, maybe 1,500 years older than any recorded documents we had ever had from that era. And they were hidden in caves that were dug along the shores of the Dead Sea. A group called the Essenes had meticulously copied and copied and copied. And then they stored them in the caves because they knew what was going to happen in Rome in 70 when, when Rome just fell, right? And so they tucked these documents away. 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. The most significant of the Dead Sea Scrolls was the scroll of Isaiah along with all the documents that were found recorded. The scroll of Isaiah was opened up. They had almost the entire book of Isaiah right there in its original text. And scholars will tell you that it was almost bang on word for word with what we have today. It's real, it's real. Like the translation was, and so these things were being copied and copied and copied and copied and scribes were just going meticulously and there was a document here and a document here and they were being passed around or they were being passed around. And then Christians became a threat to the, Ro to the Roman Empire. Why? Because the Romans said, if you want to worship your Jesus, that's okay, but you have to acknowledge Caesar as God. And you have to acknowledge all the Greek gods. And Christians wouldn't do it. And Christians were being put to death because they wouldn't do it. And they were a threat to the Roman Empire. And so the year 303, there was a Roman emperor, and his name was Diocletian. And Diocletian said, enough, you all are a threat to the Roman Empire. And so here's what we're going to do. If you won't renounce Jesus as God, you're going to be put to death. And furthermore, if you're holding any Christian documents, any of these recordings, you'll be put to death. And anything that was considered a house of worship was obliterated and wiped out. And Christians were being killed. It was the worst era. It was the worst era in the church. It was the worst era. It was the greatest era of persecution for the church. Christians were being killed. And if you were found to hold one of these documents, they'd kill your kid, then they'd kill your other kid, then they'd kill your spouse, and then they'd kill you. It was the worst time for the church, Diocletian. And then miraculously, in 324, Constantine became the emperor of, of the Roman Empire. And some of you know this. And under Constantine, Christianity became the religion of the, of the Roman Empire. And he befriended the church. Historians, the same historians, which by the way, there is no credible historian on the planet today 
who will deny the existence of the physical Jesus or, or the, the, the actual happening of his resurrection. No credible historian, right? And so his, those same historians will all tell you that it is actually Christianity that has shaped all of Western civilization. And so now Constantine makes it okay. And so now Christians are coming out of the dark and they're getting together and they're sharing their documents and they're putting their documents together. And in about the year 400, finally three different separate church councils met and now we have the Bible. Now we have the Bible. And you and I take it for granted and maybe we read it, maybe we don't. The reality is most Christians don't read the Bible. I want you to leave here this morning and know this, man. What the early church thought, what the early church thought before we even had the Bible, what the early church thought about these writings, the writings of Luke, the writings of Peter through John Mark, the writings of Matthew, the writings of, of, of John, what they thought about them was absolutely that they were valuable and reliable, that these were the words of eyewitnesses who saw what they said they saw. What the early church believed is that these words were sacred and inspired. And what the early church believed was that these words were truth. So much so that people were willing to give their lives, sacrifice their lives, that they would not renounce what they had seen. And so again, this morning, I just wanna remind you this, that the Bible's for transformation. It's not just for information. You can have faith and evidence. Listen, some of you are in here this morning, you're just checking things out and, and you say you've been hurt by the church. And, and listen, man, if I'd heard your story and I knew your story, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably tell you, I can't blame you that you've wanted to leave the church. And maybe for whatever reason, you're, you're, you're just coming back. And I'm saying, I'm thrilled. Come on back. Come on back. Investigate. Ask questions. By the way, if you're newer to faith or if you're not there yet with faith, either way, you, you absolutely ought to be in our Alpha class. Alpha class is on Wednesday nights. It meets downstairs. If you get in the building, it starts at 6.30. You all have dinner together. And Alpha is the place where you can go, I think that's pretty stupid. Oh, right on. Welcome to Alpha. Alpha is the place where you can go, I've heard that. I've never known why. Right on. Welcome to Alpha. I, I'm not really sure, but I would like to discuss that. And I'd like to wrestle with it. Right on. Welcome to Alpha. If that's you, you should be at Alpha on Wednesday night. We have great leaders. We have great table leaders. It's great discussion. You'll have dinner together and you will wrestle with it. I always say this, you can't own what you haven't wrestled with. And faith is something that we need to wrestle with. And if you've got all the answers, you probably don't fit in at our church. Because nobody here does. And we're just willing to say that sometimes. So we always have a big so what. Let me give you the big now what this morning. The big now what is this. Number one, read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. Most Christians don't read the Bible. I would encourage you to do this. Go onto our website. And even if you just put down in the search bar, just put reading plan. We have a reading plan. We have a reading plan, a daily reading plan. If you don't want to do that, I would just tell you as simply as I could, pick up a Bible and read the Gospel of John. Just start. You'll have questions. I promise you, you'll have questions. I would just start with the Gospel of John. Otherwise, go onto our website, pick up the reading plan. Number one, I would say read it. Number two, I would say digest it. That's why we do CV groups. That's why we do CV groups. Listen, this whole series, we have, we have a, a guides for your discussion. This is designed for life groups. You're going to go to your life group and you're like, I think his shirt was awesome. You may not say that. You may say... I totally didn't understand that. Explain that to me. You, you, you may have all kinds of questions. Life group, life group, 
life group. If you're not in a life group, go to super group. If you're not in either of those, go to one of our support groups, go to alpha. But that's where you digest. You digest when you talk and you, and you hear other people's thoughts, right? Read it, read it, read it, digest it, digest it, digest it. And then lastly, man, live it. This stuff better come out of us. We better look different. There's never a time to look more different than today. If you're living the Christian life, if you're really looking to living the Christian life, you're different in the world that we live today. Now read it, digest it, live it. Yes? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you, God, for what you reveal in your word. Thank you for what you're doing here at Cedar Valley Church and around the world. God, you're a God who is a God of action. You're moving. You are moving. You're bringing about your kingdom, and we're grateful for that. Hey, with your head bowed, here's what I know. I know that it's the Spirit of God who speaks and teaches and moves at our church. It's not me. I know that. I'm aware of that. And the Spirit of God may have said something to you this morning that had nothing to do with anything I said. And you may have become aware this morning of your need for God. Maybe you're somebody who said, hey, I've been away from the church a long time, or I've been coming to church for a while, but I I don't call myself a Christian. I'm not really there. But this morning, the Spirit of God said something to you and is drawing you to himself and has revealed to you that you need him. The Spirit of God is saying that to you right now. You need me, and he's drawing you. And I would say don't resist. If the Spirit of God has said that to you, everybody's got their heads bowed, but in a minute I'm going to lead you in prayer. But if the Spirit of God said that to you, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. So if that was you this morning, the Spirit of God is speaking to you, saying, hey, he's drawing me, and I know I need him, just shoot your hand up for me real quick. One, two, three, raise your hand up. Just raise your hand right on. Love that. Love it. Got you. Got you up in the balcony. Right on. Got it. Got it. Who else? You say, the Spirit of God is calling me. God has revealed himself to me this morning. I'm hearing God. I'm seeing God. God is calling me to himself. Raise your hand. Shoot it up there. Got you. Got it. Right on. Awesome. Who else? Yep. Got you up in the balcony too. That's cool. Right on. Who else? I'm just going to pray for you in a second. Yep. Just raise your hand up for me. I want to pray for you. Got you. Yep. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Anybody else? Good. So we're going to pray this morning. I'm just going to pray a prayer of, of dedication, just where you would commit your life to Christ. And we're all going to pray it out loud together. We're all going to pray it out loud. And let's just pray, repeat this after me. God in heaven, today I acknowledge who you are. You are the all-powerful one. You are the one who raised Jesus from the dead. God, I confess who I am. I am a sinner. I've sinned. And I've done wrong. And today I confess my sin. I agree that it's wrong. I ask for your forgiveness. And I receive your forgiveness. Now I commit my life to serving you. Give me strength to live for you as you lead me. In Jesus' name, amen.